You're listening to the Eat Scripture Podcast with Eric and Gina Robinson, and we are continuing in our series on the Gospel of Luke Yep. today. Um, before we get started, I just want to thank you guys for listening. Um, love mm-hmm. to have you share our podcast with other people. Mm-hmm. If you would give us a review on iTunes, that would really help get the word out to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, but we just love having you here with us. So um, let's go ahead and get started. Sounds great. Awesome. We are actually in Luke chapter 3, and we made it to verse 20 last time. So we were in that John the Baptist had shown up and had preached this message uh, to the people, was preaching a message of repentance, uh, baptism for repentance, and the forgiveness of sins. And that was pretty different than what the people were used to, and you had people Uh questioning him about that. We went through that whole process where he talks back to the people. They ask him, could you possibly be the Christ? He rejects that idea that he's the Christ, obviously, um, but talks about the one who will come after him. And then we get to verse 18 and through 20, and we find out that John himself is going to ultimately be rejected by the king, the authority who's on the the throne, king of the Jews, even though he's not a legitimate king. Um, You would hope that the king of the Jews would be the first one to respond to to God's prophet when God is speaking through him. But instead, he rejects to the point of having John locked up in prison, it says in verse Mm -hmm. 20. Which honestly kind of sounds like some of the Old Testament prophets (laughs) and what happened to them. Absolutely. They do often get rejected, which of course is terrible, but it's par for the course but it's the opposite of what should happen every time. Right. Uh, people should be accepting God's word and uh, not everybody wants to hear it. So we get to verse 21 we and we do kind of a, a shift. Bit, yeah. yeah. Because we're going backwards in time now. So John is actually not going to be locked up quite yet because we still have to watch John baptize Jesus here. Mm-hmm. Verse 21 and following, but he ended for some reason, Luke felt like he wanted to tell us right there in verses 18 through 20 that ultimately what happens is that John is rejected by the king and locked up in prison. So he gets that out, but then he jumps back, like you said, verse 21. And I think it would be good for us to read 21 and 22 because these really um, kind of set up what's happening with Jesus right now as Jesus kind of shows up, grown up Jesus shows up on the scene for us. So I'll I'll read this. Uh, I think, and then let you uh, take over for us when we get a little further in the text. <laughs> okay. um, not during the names. I was uh, going to say. We'll say. Oh, um, for all the hard <laughs> names, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, verse 21. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you, I am well pleased. All right, this is just a short little couple of verses to let us know what happened when Jesus came to John and was baptized by him. So he doesn't go. Other gospels give us different information, right? A little bit different. Luke does this on purpose. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, So here, whenever Luke is uh, including his account, what is it? Do you think that uh, jumps out at us the most, or what jumps out at you? Well, uh, I think, first of all, it sounds like Jesus came to be baptized along with 
all the other people. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, yeah. And as he was being baptized and praying, mm -hmm. the heavens were opened, which makes me kind of jump back to uh, chapter 2, verse mm -hmm. 13, where right. um, the angels, a multitude of the heavenly hosts mm -hmm. were suddenly praising God. Right. Yep. When um, all their voices are the shouting. Yep. And so it seems like the heavens opened there too. Mm -hmm. um, yep. And this, these voices all unison come from heaven. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace among those with whom he is well pleased. So that's what we hear kind of from heaven. That right. big voice booming, you know, with all this multitude uh, coming from heaven at that point. Now we're going to have, like you're saying, kind of the heavens opened again in that sense and, and hear voice a God. voice yes. yeah and it's going to be god's voice now so, uh, i think it's also interesting that this is where it tells us the holy spirit descended on him mm -hmm. in bodily form like yeah luke, luke actually says in bodily form he uses this very specific like physical form he wants us to know it wasn't just a vision it wasn't right. just a shadowy kind of cloudy you could make it out to be a dove if you wanted to it's a very obvious physical sign mm -hmm. that this dove is coming down and landing on Jesus. And it's clearly the Holy Spirit to, to Luke, yes. certainly to many people there. It's obviously the Holy Spirit. That's coming Which, down. of course takes me back to Noah and mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. dove there. And we've talked yes. about that before. I won't go into that right now, but um, there's definitely a connection there. Yeah. We have talked about that before um, in our Typology podcast. I will just uh, go ahead and make the connection that okay. the dove is definitely a picture of the Holy Spirit in Scripture. And that has been known for a long time. We've used, we even have churches today that have the dove picture on the yes. uh, dove um, silhouette on the side of the building or on the sign or something like that. And it is related to the fact that this is where the Holy Spirit is at work. That's the right. idea. Um, and so that dove becomes a symbol for the Holy Spirit. And also a sign that I think freedom is coming. Peace. Peace, freedom. Yeah. yeah. Certainly peace with God. Yeah. Freedom from, yes, yes. Freedom from our bondage to slavery and sin and all of that. And certainly, obviously here, not that Jesus needed that, but he was coming to. But it was a sign for the people. For the people, right. A sign for the people right. of God's work through Jesus. So the dove descends in bodily form, lands on Jesus. They know that this is connected to God's work and the Holy Spirit. And it's at that point that a voice comes from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I'm well pleased. Something that we also hear in, you know, Mark's gospel um, about this voice that came from heaven during this time, proclaiming God's love for his son, Jesus. I think it's easy to read over that. Yeah. But really, when you think about what that must have been it must like. have been quite a moment. <laughs> it's, yeah. yeah. It's quite it's a striking, striking moment, you would think for those who are standing nearby and they get to hear this moving voice. And like you said, some shepherds have heard a moving voice before as they heard a multitude from heaven. But Jesus's life is surrounded by things like this that continue to confirm who he is and what his mission is. Set him and apart. The fact that he's connected to God. Yes, really set him apart for God's work. And this is just another one of those. Um, 
And so people ask the question too, well, Jesus obviously didn't need to be baptized, right? Well, of course, Jesus did not need to be baptized in the way that we think of, and like John uh, elaborates on baptism as repentance for forgiveness of but, sin. Yeah, uh, but he with, took on all of our sin. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, I mean, that picture is beautiful. He has been, we've seen him in this very uh, chapter. Well, maybe it was less. Um, it was in chapter two, but mm-hmm. where he was circumcised and mm-hmm. dedicated at the temple. Right. He's he's fulfilling Very much living everything. by the fulfillment of everything. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's important, too. Mm-hmm. Which may have a lot to do with why Luke is including it here. We're just not. He doesn't give us all his specifics, but I think that would certainly play into um, what is happening here. Jesus has come to fulfill all of God's will in every way, um, even though we know clearly and are told clearly in Scripture that he has no sin. So that wouldn't, I just want to clear that up for anybody who's having thoughts uh, that might go down that line. Obviously, that's not what's being implied here. now that we see him go through this baptism process and we hear God's voice boom from heaven, I think one of these things that we need to really point out about what the voice is saying is calling him son. Right. Because I think that's related to everything in this entire yes, section. I, I think so too. The very next thing we're about to see is the genealogy, which has everything to do with who you're the son of. I mean, right. how, how do you trace your line? You know, this is what you're... And well, so, and it's so obvious because... Luke's genealogy is different mm-hmm. from Matthew's mm-hmm. uh, in several ways, but one of them that's just easy to see is that um, Matthew's talks about so and so, the father of so and so, the father of. This is a different. It's talking about the son of. Yeah. Everybody in the line is the son of. It's starting with um, Jesus and going backwards. All the way to God yes. himself. Yeah. Adam, God. Um, yeah. Whereas Matthew's starts with Abraham. And then just and comes forward. Comes forward to Jesus. Yes. So it is definitely different in that way. Um, and then like you had pointed out to me before too, verse 23, um, there's a couple of things in there we want to mention, but it has that little... In, our, in the ESV, a little parenthetical note in the ESV, they've even put parentheses around it, that Jesus being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph. Right. And so he just, Luke puts it right in there, gives you this little hint that that's not really what it was, obviously. Right. We've already just heard this voice from heaven. Yes. It says he's Say the son that of he's God. my son. Yes, right. my son, God's son. And, and now we have this genealogy starting and so right at the beginning whenever Luke is getting into it he's going to let us know now okay just people assumed uh, that he was Joseph's son um, but that's not ultimately who he is I mean he was raised in Joseph's household Joseph was his earthly father but I'm telling you something so much bigger greater so much more important than that right so it ends with the son of God yes yeah, it's with the Son of God. Starts so with just him like you're starting saying. his ministry at about 30 years old. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, that's interesting because we have the exact same th- thing said of David 
taking the throne in chapter two, or I'm sorry, in second Samuel chapter five, verse four, when David took the throne, he was 30 years old. We have the same thing said of Joseph in Genesis 41, 46, whenever he assumed second in position over Egypt and the known world at the time uh, in his ruling capacity. And so that was Genesis 41, 46. So both of these figures in the Old Testament who are extremely strong Christ types take the their ruling authority position when they're 30 years old. Right. So for it to be connected to Jesus here, that's no surprise. Oh, well, yeah, it makes sense, of course. This is the this is the shadow, what the shadow in the Old Testament is pointing forward to the whole time. And this isn't these details aren't put in here just by, you know, right. coincidence. Right. They're for a reason, and I think that we're supposed to see that. Oh, yes. Um, and like you said, now we have 77 generations listed yes. here. Whereas Matthew gives us 42, um, we go much further than that because Luke wants to take us all the way back to Adam. Right. Matthew only takes us to Abraham because Matthew's got such a strong Jewish focus in his gospel that he stops with Abraham. But Luke, on the other hand, he wants us, he's really going to incorporate the idea of all of mankind right. into this thing. So he's. I love that. Yes. And that is a huge that. emphasis in Luke. So. Yeah. Even, even understanding that about the genealogy mm -hmm. just it fits perfectly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he's taking, we're all part of the same family. Yes. Yeah. And like you said, there's 77 He's the Jesus, if you count the generations here, there's these 77 generations. That's a huge number, too, for, I mean, huge spiritual import right. for Jews. I mean, it is sevens double sevens. And multiples so of sevens big, are. Big, big deal. Yeah, huge. big deal. So for him to be the 77th says something even in itself. And probably Luke, I would say certainly, would expect some people to count their way through his little genealogy here. He doesn't have to point it out specifically. It's there, and you can you can find it if you search for it. Um, it'll become obvious. So, yeah, 77th generation. What a big deal and that again, is. Again, just that ending with the Son of God. So he's told us in the end of uh, verse 22, this voice said, You are my beloved Son, mm -hmm. with whom I am well pleased. Mm-hmm. And then we get down to verse 38, and it says he is the son of Adam, the son of God. Yes. So uh, the whole emphasis here is on his identity. Yes, Jesus' identity. I think you said that just right. He's the son of. So mm -hmm. yeah. uh, we're supposed to get that in our heads. Yes. It's important. It's why I think that Luke has waited to do his genealogy until this moment. Yes. Right. I, I think you're 100% right. That's why he waited till now. He waited till now, not like Matthew, who put his in very first thing he did whenever he started writing his gospel. Luke waits till here because this is where it makes the most sense for the point he's making about Jesus' identity, surrounded by these other stories, mm -hmm. these other stories that we're looking at right here. Um, the, when we started with John, and his rejection by the king. Then we moved into Jesus' baptism, his being called Son of God, as we just read. Now we read the genealogy, this being the centerpiece of our little chiastic structure here. So 
now we have his genealogy really establishing that he's God's son, tracing it all the way back to God through Adam. And so, yes, he's the son of God for real. And then now. Well, there's already go, been this question. Okay. Who is John? Is John the Christ? Right. And I think Luke is establishing the supremacy of Jesus here. Mm -hmm. No, this is the son. Yes. This is the one that you're looking for. Yes, I think you're right. Yeah, great, great point. He is establishing Jesus's supremacy. He is so different than anyone else. He is so much mm -hmm. higher, so much greater, and has a connection like nobody else could possibly have right. to the God a creator God of the universe. Now we're going to move into chapter Can I say four. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. I just thought of this, but this also connects back to, of course, when he was in the temple mm -hmm. and with, when he was 12 mm -hmm. and he says, I, didn't you know I would be in my father's house? Mm -hmm. So again, just another connection to the fact that he, this is all establishing who Jesus really is. Yes. Yeah. So we can keep going. I just wanted to make that connection. As yeah. Well. Oh yeah. This is definitely doing that. And you're right. Oh yeah. Very much has, has been something that's been tracing its way through Luke that we've been seeing thus far uh, in several different ways. And, and you pointing back to that too. Yes. His father's house. He's known this, he's known his role and who he is for a while. And so this, statement from God from the heavens and then followed by this genealogy. This is nothing new to Jesus. Obviously Jesus has been knowing this for a long time, but I would say like you're implying that verse 22, whenever God is speaking, that's really a message for those who are there mm -hmm. on that day. Right. Message maybe even for John to some degree, although John seems and maybe even for Jesus. Confident. We don't know how much he really on understood. some level, maybe. Yep. Yep, but I would say even more than that for the people who are standing nearby. Yeah. Um, then we get to chapter four, and now we do start going into these temptations. And I think a, uh, there are a couple of things here that we'll emphasize that are different about the way that they are written as opposed to the way Matthew wrote his down. They include the same three temptations, but they're even in a different order. And then we have a couple of things in here. Uh, that we'll point out as we kind of walk through it. But I think it might be good here for us to read chapter 4, verse 1 through 13. Okay. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And 
on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Mm. Well, this is a little strange because we've read this before, these temptations probably, most of us have. Maybe we've read them in Matthew, maybe we've read them here in Luke. But just trying to even get a picture in your head of what's going on is a little bit difficult because you're thinking, wow, Jesus out in the wilderness. Here comes Satan. Satan's tempting him. What did this even look like? How did this? And, and I know that's kind of a, a hard picture for us to get. Who knows what exactly was going on? But without question, it took place. Uh, it is It is a sign of what how how much satan does not want jesus's power and authority to be displayed and how much he mm -hmm. wants to stop this before it gets any further he's he knows very clearly that there's something about jesus that god is using right. and uh is going to put jesus forth as the messiah and so he is going to try and derail this thing before it even I has feel like it's gets started really uh, pulling back the curtains and letting us see how Satan works mm -hmm. yeah. in some ways. And even today, how mm -hmm. he works on us. Yeah. And we don't see it so plainly, but it is this. Yes. Um, yeah. I love that it starts out with Jesus full of the Holy Spirit. I think it's mm -hmm. interesting because uh, John, we're told, was full. He was filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb. Mm -hmm. Right. But we really don't hear that the spirit descended on Jesus until his baptism. Right. And then he's here. It says he's full of the Holy spirit. So, mm -hmm. um, I just think that's interesting. Yeah. I'm not sure what, <laughs> I mean, how exactly to take since all they're that. All, mm -hmm. The Godhead is connected. I don't know. Yeah. Exactly. What, what exactly that means. would that mean? But yeah. I think it's interesting that the, that Luke is telling us this. Right. Yeah. For whatever reason. Well, there certainly seems to be in scripture a feeling of the Holy Spirit that goes beyond, can go beyond at certain times any kind of normal feeling that right. there's a feeling that believers have, but then at times they're really filled with the Spirit because they are doing something extraordinary or praising God in an extraordinary way or, you know, accomplishing a task, whatever it yes. is. Um, but there's an what extra feeling, however you might want to say that. And I think we've all felt that at times. Right. So. Or at least a lot of us. And, I know. feel thankful that it's telling us this here because Jesus was walking into some really difficult, mm -hmm. a really important and difficult time. Mm -hmm. And to know that he was filled with the Holy Spirit there oh, yeah. is comforting, I guess. <laughs> oh, yeah. I agree. Um, so he's going into this uh, wilderness for 40 days. Yeah, 40 days uh, to be tempted by the devil. Now, there are two people in scripture it says in that very next line and he ate nothing during those days and when it was ended he was hungry that's probably like one of the biggest understatements in right. scripture you would think <laughs> um which luke is known for both understatement and overstatement from time to time so it's very uh interesting and very much a part of his writing style but when we hear this about Jesus, uh, we may not realize there are two others in Scripture who go 40 days without food or water. And those are Elijah and Moses. Okay. 
and they both do it in connection with Horeb or Sinai and hearing God speak personally to them on Sinai. And so keep that in mind as we go forward, because that's, uh, it's going to become very interesting when Jesus meets two people on the mountain and those are the two people right. he meets and, and Luke tells us how they talk uh, to each other later on. And it gets very interesting or what they talk about um, gets very interesting. So we have that here um, that there's these 40 days without food. He, he's hungry. He's approached by Satan. Well, and I think it just, it's saying in the wilderness and for 40 of course, mm -hmm. I want to say 40 mm -hmm. years even. I just think mm -hmm. we're taken back to even that time of yeah. wandering in the wilderness yeah. in Exodus. And so, I don't know. That's yeah. kind of the picture that I always get to. Yeah, in that regard, it makes me think that, you know, it really wasn't that far a trek from Sinai to the promised land. Mm -hmm. It wasn't right. like that was a long journey. And whenever the, but when the people got there, they were unfaithful when the people got there they didn't believe that god could handle what they were coming against and that he would be able to really get that they could uh, be empowered by him to overcome those giants and so they were faithless and so god says oh yeah well then none of this generation right. will get to go in which is why of course they wind up wandering for 40 years and not being able to go into the promised land so it wasn't the journey the short journey itself from Sinai to, to the promised land that took so long. So here, this 40 days, that makes me think, so you, you have this short period of time where Jesus has an opportunity to show his faithfulness to God, which he shows perfectly, unlike the people right. of that age. Right. The people the of that age could have right. entered into their ministry That's for right. God. Israel's, you know, becoming what God wanted them to be could have started much earlier had they had the faithfulness to just believe in God and trust him to do whatever he said. And so here we see Jesus living up to what the people never could. Right. Jesus Even lives in up him to being it in 40 hungry. days. Because when they got hungry. Yeah, they, they were, were complaining and Complaining after only a few days. Yes, right. So, yeah, I see that. That's really good. Yeah, yeah, so... There was, sure. there was also a mention in something I read about um, just comparing this with Psalm 68 uh -huh. verses four and seven mm -hmm. and the picture of the Lord marching through the desert for mm. his people right through the wilderness. And yeah, I really like that picture. I see Jesus as he's the one who's going ahead has, of us in the wilderness. He is going he? to defeat the wilderness mm -hmm. for yeah. us. Right. Um, he goes before us and, mm -hmm takes care of things. So, I see that. Anyway, I just wanted to throw that in while we were here. But Yeah, I think that's awesome. Great connection. Now, we're watching this happen, and, and the first thing that Satan is going to attempt him to do is to sat satisfy his physical need, of course, which is something all of us are tempted to do all right. the time. And um, so even with things that we don't really need it satisfied right now. Right. Um, but it but, feels like we do. Yeah. We right just, this minute. Now. Yes, absolutely. So that's the first temptation he throws at Jesus. And Jesus immediately 
uh, when he says, in other words, to command the stones to become bread, if you're the son of God. So again, questioning yes. of the identity. That's what we see here. Very important. In three. That that's how Satan is talking to him in this. Yes. Uh, in this section. particular section, Satan is saying, if you are the son of God. So just like we're saying, challenging on the level of Jesus's identity. Eh, well, that's where we heard the genealogy. You know, people supposed that he was the son of Joseph, but he was really the son of God. And maybe, maybe he's not really. Are you really? I mean, maybe because if you are, this would be an easy thing, right? You could go ahead and take care of this. And he decides not to take care of this. Um, that way he is going to trust in God no matter what. So he quotes scripture right back to Satan. Right. He says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, which is a quote from Deuteronomy 8, verse 3. So immediately he backs Satan up by quoting scripture to him and saying, basically, I'm trusting in my father. I'm not going to give in to that. I am living by God's word. Do you think... I'm going to just bring up something here. We we haven't talked about this, but mm -hmm. uh, I think it's interesting because what Moses, his big sin was that when the people got thirsty, mm -hmm. he struck the rock. Yeah. Instead of doing it the way God had told him to do. Mm -hmm. Speak. Uh, yeah, speaking to the rock. And here he's saying, well, if you are the son of God, you can command this stone to become mm. bread. Using the stone again, I just, that's kind mm. of interesting to me. Interesting. And yeah. that mm. Jesus is not going to do it the wrong way. Yeah. I didn't even think about that, but I'd say that might be a possibility just, yeah. to connect just some stone to stone. Thought. Yeah. We haven't explored that at all. No. I just suddenly was struck by that image. Yeah. So. Interesting thing. That yeah. is an interesting thing. Yeah. I don't know, but that's something to plumb the depths of for sure. Um, so Jesus answers him. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. The devil then takes him and shows him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Whatever that means, however that went. But he gets to kind of see all the kingdoms of the world laid out before him in a moment. And the devil says to him, to you, I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. Now, there's no indication that he's not being truthful with Jesus right here. That in some right. sense, he could hand over the glory and authority uh, that comes with being over all these earthly kingdoms. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus immediately throws scripture back at him, just like he did before, this time Deuteronomy 6. 13, another quote from Deuteronomy, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Now, again, very much Satan is pictured as, even in the New Testament, he's often pictured, um, Paul refers to him as the little G God of this world in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. Um, in Ephesians 2, verse yeah. 2, he is the prince of the power in the air, uh, of the air and he is very much at work in the world right um but then you've got places like luke chapter 10 verse 18 coming up where satan is seen by jesus like a star falling from heaven right which may be what john is referencing in revelation chapter 12 4 through 10 whenever he talks about when satan fell from heaven with all those who 
came out uh, to follow him. Mm -hmm. And they were thrown out of heaven, it says, right. by Michael and the archangels. And that happened after Jesus ascends to the Father. So that all of these things together, even Mark 3.27, when Jesus says he's in Luke uh, 11, 21 and 22, where Jesus says he binds the strong man. Yeah. These are things that make us think, okay, Satan, as active as he is and as much as he is working and tempting people, his authority is limited now. Right. Um, he has some. He had, to, and he had he more has. before Jesus, right. is, um, Jesus came than he does now. And so that makes us kind of think about this, the way he's talking here. This is before Jesus' work is fully completed. It's so hard for us to quite completed. understand all of that. And we're not... Right given all that information and so right apparently we don't need all that information don't need it all but it is we have questions yeah <laughs> but i would say to say that uh that satan obviously has a lot of authority here over right. worldly kingdoms seems obvious right um, and, and he's so. tempting him with power and glory mm -hmm. from and in the world mm -hmm. and yeah i mean that's not that different than what we're tempted with today yeah so absolutely right it is not well um i think maybe we could stop right here i know we're right in the middle of a section but we can okay. come back with um the third with okay, our third temptation right. next time. time yep and uh we'll but we'll come back with this th third temptation because there's something a little different about mm -hmm. it the way that luke is writing here that'll be interesting to right. talk about next okay time. we can finish up this little um talk about the temptations mm -hmm. yep. in the next one okay and wonderful to talk to you all and we will look forward to talking to you next time hope you have a wonderful few days and god bless you all